BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined as always by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm feeling pretty good, especially considering all the rumors that we might have a new quarterback in town. So thanks so much for supporting this podcast, for listening to us. If you want to hear more of us, go and find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Make sure to go find us on YouTube also, the Jet Press. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that little bell. So you get a notification on your phone whenever we go live. We have a full hour of Jets content for you because this was a busy week in the Jets fandom space, especially considering Derek Carr and all the rumors around Derek Carr. But I want to give the floor to Justin first because we found out, boy, did we find out all the how aggressive Raiders Twitter can be and how polarizing to be very diplomatic the the uh, Derek Carr can be, and Justin may have ignited a little mini mini civil war on Raiders Twitter. So I'll let him festivist style air his grievances. I, I appreciate that, Mike. Yeah, I mean, like I don't want to take credit for igniting a civil war. There has been a civil war on Raiders Twitter for the last nine years, and it's all revolved around Derek Carr. Uh, like for those who don't know, I I previously covered the Raiders too, so I've been in those trenches. I've seen those fans. I've seen that fan base. I've I know that team. I've watched Derek Carr plenty over the years. There's been a civil war, and it's been between the the pro Derek Carr fans and the anti Derek Carr party fans faction, whatever you want to call them. And it's kind of like Jets fans have kind of got caught in the middle of that this offseason. And they're they're obviously more on the the side right now of pro Derek Carr. They're supporting them. But I, I put out a tweet a few days ago like two days ago now or something uh, basically just being like the Raiders organization has failed Derek Carr. Right? like they, they've, they failed to support him for nine years. This is not saying that Derek Carr is blameless, which some people took that to be because that's silly. Derek Carr is not Patrick Mahomes. He has his limitations as a quarterback. We all know that, but the, the Raiders organization failed to build around him. They, they failed to supply him with adequate coaching staffs. His offensive line, for the most part, has been terrible, other than earlier in his reign. He has never had a top-20 defense. I don't think it's a stretch by any means to say that the Raiders organization has been poorly run during Derek Carr's tenure. I think we can all agree on that, including should be most Raiders fans. In fact, when I put out that tweet, I didn't mention the Jets at all, right? I just put out that tweet. A lot of Raiders fans, so to my surprise, flocked to the replies and agreed with me. They were like, thank you for saying this. We agree with you. The Raiders have been very poorly run. We have 
failed their car and they're, you know, not smart for moving on. Whatever. There was a, a bu- I got a bunch of replies like that, right? A lot of that stuff. And I was like, this is great because I know I've been on record on this podcast and in many other places in the past saying that I am not particularly fond of the Raiders fan base. Now, every fan base has its crazies. Every fan base has its lunatics. It's people that are just kind of wild, right? So against the status quo that they make these ridiculous takes. Every fan base has that. Jets fan base has it. Everyone does. What I've found is that I think that the, the, at least this has been my interpretation, is that Raiders fans, the Raiders fan base has a greater percentage of those crazies. That's what I've found. Uh, but I was, you know, caught off guard. I was, I was pleasantly surprised by these Raiders fans flocking to, to the defense, I guess, of the Jets, more so against their own organization. And I was like, that's interesting. Then the next day came, and uh, I was flooded with different replies because it found that those, those tweets found the anti-car uh, side of Raiders Twitter. And they were none too pleased. But I will note, I don't think a single one of those tweets, and I tried to look at as many as I could. I don't think a single one of those tweets disagreed with what I was saying. Instead, they were like, dude, you cover the Jets. How are you saying this? <laughs> look, the Jets organization for the nine for the past nine years has been very poorly run as well. No one is arguing against that. I'm not arguing against that. The Jets organization is has been bad, has historically been bad. They've been bad at developing quarterbacks. They've been bad at de- building around their quarterbacks. You can but make so have the Raiders. So have the Raiders. Your crap stinks too, man. Exactly. <laughs> you can make the the argument that that both Sam Darnold and Geno Smith sort of failed in New York because the Jets failed to build around them. It certainly didn't help them. I think it's less so with Zach Wilson, but a lot more so with Sam Darnold and Geno Smith. I'm not disagreeing with that. But it seems as though Raiders fans, that was, or at least the the anti-car party, as you would call them, that was their defense for why the Raiders have not failed the organization. And I would like to point out uh, that the Raiders have not won a playoff game since 2002. In fact, they've made, they've only been in two. So I don't want to make that about that. This isn't a Jets versus Raiders debate because, look, we both suck. Like, both of these organizations have been bad. It's more so just, hey, the Raiders have all have failed to build around Derek Carr. And that, that failure to build around him, if we're being honest, is probably going to lead into the Jets based on how the latest uh, rumblings are looking. These are from Bet Online. These are the latest odds for Derek Carr, his next team. The Jets overwhelming favorites at minus 300 after a nice little whining and dining at an Italian restaurant up in North Jersey, which was circulating around Jets Twitter. They have jumped way to the front of the pack here. Number two would be the Carolina Panthers at plus 225. Number three, the New Orleans Saints at plus 250. After that, you get Tampa at plus 900. And beyond that, it's just fantasy land. They're trying to take money from people. Now, one thing I found interesting, because this is the big money quote that's going around, not only Jets Twitter, but NFL Twitter, is that they promised Derek Carr that he could be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he slays the dragon and he wins a Super Bowl with the New York jets. And I get to a degree that that's being grandiose and you're being a showman and you're being a salesman and you want to convince him. But at the same time, think of what that does for Derek Carr's legacy. Cause I, I want to bring up a parallel to Matthew Stafford in Detroit. Cause I don't think Derek Carr is as good as Matthew Stafford, but the, the parallels are frightening in terms of this situation where he goes to historically, I know that Raiders have some super bowls lines don't, but over the last 20 years, 25 years, you can't get more dysfunctional, maybe Cleveland, than, than Detroit and the then Oakland, now Las Vegas Raiders. 
And Stafford had a lot of these similar debates going on around him where it was, oh, is it him himself? He can't win in the postseason. Is it the coaches? Is they never supported him right? And then he goes to the Rams, who supported him properly with good coaching and receivers and an offensive line and a defense worth a damn, and he won the Super Bowl immediately. Now, I don't know if Derek Carr is going to do that, but I definitely think that if you just insert him into this Jets team, I think that there's a lot of momentum building towards a postseason appearance and possibly a postseason game that they could win. Because we've we talked about this till we're blue in the face. Derek Carr can rip it downfield, smart guy, doesn't get hurt a lot. The cold weather thing is what it is. But if, if you're in the Derek Carr camp, especially over the Aaron Rodgers camp for the Jets, this has been a great week for you. I completely agree. I, I just on the cold weather thing. I how many Jets games last year? How many home games did the Jets play that were under forty degrees? Uh, one, maybe. Like it's not like that's even a common occurrence. This isn't Buffalo. Like it's well, not the like playoffs are going to be in January. Sure. Well, let's get there first. Let's let's, let's not to you know to, to hold up the playoffs talk, right? Like, but we got to get there first, right? But I I think that some of that a lot of that is is overblown. Uh, first, I do want to put you on the spot. What, is, what do you think Derek Carr ordered for lunch? I want to, I want to get your take on that. <laughs> you know, he seems like a veal salt and boca kind of guy, or or he just went basic chicken parm because he's like a West Coast guy, like yeah. a California guy. That was very Jersey Italian of you, that first answer. That was very Jersey Italian. Legit, <laughs> that checks out. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of steam coming off of that meeting. And by all accounts, uh, both sides came out of it feeling very, very good about the potential fit. Uh, it was reported that any any concerns that either side had were completely erased. The Jets came away feeling that they can win with Derek Carr, that they can not only compete with him, but maybe that they could even win a Super Bowl. Like that's kind of the message they were at least relaying to Derek Carr. How much of that is real, and how much of it is just you know sellers got to sell, right? I don't know, but. Either way, do what you got to do to get that guy in the building. You're trying to convince Derek Carr that New York is the place to be. You sell you sell him on, hey, this could be your legacy, like you mentioned, Matthew Stafford. I think it's a fair comparison. And also, you got to remember, and obviously the Jets aren't the Rams. The Jets don't have the roster or the coaching staff that the Rams did. But winning in New York means is better, like is more impactful to someone's legacy than winning anywhere. If Derek Carr comes here and he wins a Super Bowl with the Jets, He's a legend forever. Like he, he is a legend forever. They signed this guy to be their franchise savior. I think he's even like it's a different kind of legend than like Eli Manning because at least the Giants had some semblance of history with quarterbacks. The Jets don't have that. Like they have nothing. They have been looking for their next Joe Namath for fifty years now, right? If, let's if, not let's not erase Ken O'Brien here. All of a sudden, uh, Richard Todd stands out there. I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> uh, Richard Todd. I mean, they still have, have those in Todd we trust stickers everywhere, and then AJ Dewey picking them off three times. Let's not put Richard Todd and Ken O'Brien. My boy Ken O'Brien in the same sentence. Look, and Chad Pennington had his moments, right? He had his moments, sure. But like, and Josh McCallan that one year, right? But look, the Jets, <laughs> that's the, how far down we're going. We got to be like, remember that one year Josh McCallan was okay? I was actually, I was doing some digging on Derek Carr's stats, right? So Derek Carr, I think it was like his completion percentage over the last four, four years or something like that is like 66 point something. Only two Jets have ever had a season with a higher completion percentage. And it was Chad Pennington and Josh McCown. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. Um, but if Derek Carr comes to New York and he wins a Super Bowl, I'm not sure he's going to be a first talent Hall of Famer, but that goes a long way into improving his legacy, changing the entire narrative around him. Because the narrative right now around him is that he's not a winner. 
Like that is the narrative with Derek Carr. I think if you ask any casual football fan on the street and you ask them, what are your thoughts on Derek Carr? He's not like, a winner. Right. We can't, we can't win the big one. Right. The people, you know, the Joe Bidegno's calling in the WFAN, whoever, right? Like the people like that, he's not a winner. Like he, I mean, he hasn't won a playoff game, right? Like that's going to be the narrative around him until he wins a playoff game. And so if he comes to New York, wins a Super Bowl, I'm not going to say he's a first ballot Hall of Famer like the Jets are trying to imply to him, but it definitely changes his legacy and improves it. And if he, if that's what he cares about, if that's what he's looking for, there's no better landing spot than New York. I want to bring up a comment by Mark here. He said, would you label Carr as elite? If not, what level is he? I don't think he's elite. I would probably say he's in that 10 to 15 range. And I know that, that some Jets fans have some trepidation about putting all their eggs in this 10 to 15th best quarterback basket because you got all these great quarterbacks in the AFC. Patrick Mahomes, obviously, just the Death Star offense they got over there. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. Common wisdom would say, well, how are you going to break through the AFC with one of those guys at quarterback. And that that's understandable, especially because Derek Carr the last couple of years was unable to break through it. At the same time, like the odds of getting a guy like a Mahomes or Burrow, unless you unless Aaron Rodgers comes to New York, erases all doubts about retiring and doesn't play like he did last year, which is a lot of ifs, you're not going to get that. So you all you can do is get the best guy available, which is probably Carr. Trust in this defense, trust in Robert Sala's coaching, and just hope you get a couple lucky breaks that go your way. Like, you, you hate to reduce football to that level of randomness, but that's really the best plan the Jets have for success in the AFC in the short term. So don't get hot up on this, oh, is he going to be Patrick Mahomes? Like, sometimes you just got to go and get the best guy available and give him your best shot. That's really all the Jets can do here. You're right. And I think people overlook that randomness factor. Like, any team on any given year, if you make the playoffs, you go win a Super Bowl. It's true. You know, so much of it comes down to injury luck. Like, can Derek Carr beat Patrick Mahomes? Sure. Like, his team, a Derek Carr-led team, can beat a Patrick Mahomes-led team. Absolutely. He can beat Josh Allen. He can beat Joe Burrow. He can beat Justin Herbert. That's not saying he's better than those guys, but it can happen. And it's not like it's not like he's like, you're just throwing any quarterback out there. Like, it's not like we're saying, oh, yeah, Zach Wilson can beat Patrick Mahomes. Like, Derek Carr, obviously, is a significant step below the top quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's still a very good quarterback. Right. And if you get to the playoffs, if you get to the playoffs with Derek Carr, you can win a Super Bowl. It's not saying it's super likely. It's not saying that you're going to be the favorites because you're not going to be, but you can get there. And also, we've talked about this before. Derek Carr doesn't have to be, or Aaron Rodgers, like Aaron, the same situation. They're not four, five, six year solutions. I, I don't think the Jets would be signing Derek Carr thinking that he's going to be their quarterback in 2027. I, re- I really don't think so. If they get Derek Carr, they're hoping, okay, we can stabilize us or stabilize our job statuses, make the playoffs, stabilize this roster, get a good quarterback in place that can maximize the talent here, continue to develop guys like Garrett Wilson, like Brees Hall, like Elijah Moore. And then hopefully if you find some success with him, you can try and draft his replacement in the future. That's what you're hoping for with him. That's what you're hoping for with Rodgers. Do we not just see Jalen Hurts get to a Super Bowl and almost win it if not for – the, the vengeful fingers of the football gods and having Patrick Mahomes go crazy. Yeah. Like I, Jalen Hurts, I think, is probably a little bit better than Derek Carr, but at least I For think sure. there's at least some wiggle room where you could argue in certain aspects, Carr. Like I think Carr probably just in terms of raw arm talent is better than Jalen Hurts in terms of just the, the number of throws he can make from different positions and angles. So if you bring a guy like that onto a team that allegedly is going to finally get the offensive line right. That's going to be the big question. If they finally do it, they got a running game. If Brees Hall's healthy, 
They got receivers. They got a new offensive coaching staff. I'm not a Nathaniel Hackett fan, but apparently the entire league thinks this guy is in incredibly high regard and just the Broncos thing was just you know bad fit, wrong place, wrong time. And then one of the best defenses in the league, you absolutely can compete with any team in the AFC with that. Doesn't mean you're going to be the number one seed, but that's a formula for success. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo was 15 minutes away from winning a Super Bowl. And that's recent. Like I know Nick people Foles did it. <laughs> Nick Foles, people bring up like Trent Dilfer or whatever. Like that was a long time ago. Jimmy Garoppolo, a few years ago, was 15 minutes away from winning a Super Bowl. And he very nearly did it. Case Keenum almost got to that one. <laughs> he did. Case Keenum. Dude, that Minneapolis Miracle game will forever be the, one of the my... The quarterbacks in those championship yeah. games were Tom Brady, Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles. If you believe in the roster, any sort of upgraded quarterback beyond just... I mean, that was not NFL quarterback play we saw last year. Even baseline competency has this team in the playoffs. And if you go slightly above it with a guy like Carr, why couldn't they make a run? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. They absolutely can. I'm totally with you. And if they bring in someone like a Derek Carr or an Aaron Rodgers... It's going to be interesting to see what the Jets do in free agency kind of connecting to them because there's a few free agents, both from the the Raiders and the Packers, who the Jets might want to pair with their new quarterback, whether that is Derek Carr, whether that's Aaron Rodgers. I think the most obvious fit for me, if we're looking at the Packers first, the most obvious fit for me, I think, is Randall Cobb. Uh, Cobb's one of those guys who's just he's been with Rodgers his entire career or virtually his entire career he had those like couple stints in, in Dallas and Houston but he returned to Green Bay he's had like a decade with them he's not the player he used to be I don't think he's a starting caliber wide receiver at this point he's more of a number four but if the Jets do go out and trade for Aaron Rodgers Randall Cobb's a free agent I'd be very surprised if if Rodgers or Cobb wasn't like hey we want to run this back for another year we want to come here Roger or Cobb can come here for pretty cheap like i don't think it would cost much to get him especially if he's like hey i want to play with aaron Rodgers for another year so if he doesn't retire which he could well both of them if Rodgers and cobb don't retire because both of them could uh but if they do both come back and if the jets get Rodgers, i think cobb makes a ton of sense for the jets one guy i've been looking at because i do agree with the whole the whole cobb thing in terms of aaron Rodgers for whatever reason that's his binky he needs him around. I don't know what it is because he's and, not uh, him and Jake Kumaro. <laughs> him and Jake Kumaro for some reason he just loves these guys. I don't know what it is, but if if that helps you at all with Aaron Rodgers and that's your stated goal, it's one of those things where I guess you got to hold your nose and make him one of the fifty three guys. See, I'm more interested in somebody potentially on the defensive side of the ball. Now I know a defensive end or a defensive lineman is not going to choose his next team because he could play with Derek Carr. At the same time. There is a guy out there who fits a lot of what the Jets look for in free agency, and that's Cleveland Furl. 
Cleveland Furl went fourth overall in the 2019 draft, which I know it made it seem like the worst pick of all time originally, but I'm thinking like, all right, you know, I could see it working mostly because he was projected to be kind of a late first round pick. He was like in the twenties that was on that loaded Clemson line with him and Christian Wilkins and Austin Bryant and one other guy. I can't remember the fourth guy off the top of my head, but I remembered Austin Bryant who was the worst of the four, (laughs) but, uh, but Dexter Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence is on that line. Yeah, so that was that was a loaded line. Cleveland Furl is probably the third best player on that line. He ends up going fourth overall. But I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe. Maybe it'll work. And he was, I'm going to be quite honest, he was horrible with, <laughs> with the Raiders. I mean, his first year, I believe he had four and a half sacks. And in his career, his four-year career, only 10 sacks. So that is not production that you want to clamor for. At the same time, Joe Douglas has kind of made a habit of taking former first round picks and giving them another world saying, all right, maybe they could, it could work out here. He did it with Corey Davis who didn't resign with the Titans and never kind of became that number one receiver that they thought he would. He did it with Jared Davis, the linebacker uh, formerly of the Detroit lions. He came here for a year and kind of confirmed all our priors that he kind of stunk. And then, and then he was gone. And he also did it this year with Solomon Thomas, who for being a backup, I thought was a pretty solid backup lineman. So if Douglas keeps that philosophy, I could see Furl rejoining Carr and coming to the Jets just to provide some backup, some insurance for a guy like Jermaine Johnson. I mean, we know Robert Sala loves having a deep defensive line. We know that. We know that, the, the, I mean, they, they carried, what, seven on the active roster last year. Farrell's fine. Like, he's a fine guy if you want to have him as a rotational player. I don't think he's going to be, you know, someone who's going to be playing more than 20, 30% snaps per game, but that's fine. Like, it would be very, very similar to the Solomon Thomas signing. Like, I feel like that'd be almost an identical move to what they made with, with Thomas, where it's just a former high draft pick, although at least Thomas, I think, was more of a more more of a consensus top draft pick at that time. Like, I think most people had Solomon Thomas going in top five. Cleveland Farrow was definitely, a, a you know, an out there pick. Most people had him in, like, the teens to 20s. Um, but still, a former top pick, bringing him in just to compete for rotational steps in the defensive line, it makes sense. And if he wants to follow Carr, I don't know if they're close or not, but if he wants to follow him, that makes sense. Another Raiders guy that they could be interested in, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball, another wide receiver. And again, this wouldn't be somebody that's going to be replacing Corey Davis or playing a significant role, but I can see them going after someone like Mac Hollins. Uh, he's a free agent. Basically he's been just a depth wide receiver for his entire career. He was with Philly with Miami didn't really do much. In fact, he never had more than 16 catches in a season up until this year, where out of nowhere, the dude gets 94 targets, started pretty much the entire year, finished 57 catches, 690 yards. He's not a starting receiver. Like, I think we know that. We've talked about this in the past, about how Derek Carr was throwing to Matt Collins as his number wide or number two wide receiver last year for pretty much the entire year. And that contributed to his production decline. It did. He's not a starting caliber receiver. But if the Jets want to bring him in, he obviously have found plenty of success with Carr last year. I mean, this was by far the best year of his career. If him and Carr have some kind of a report together, you could bring him in. He could be your wide receiver four. I'd be cool with that. He's a good he's first of all, he's a good special teamer. That's he's always been that throughout his career. That's how he stuck around as much as he has. Good size speed combination. Totally someone I'd be fine bringing in as your wide receiver four. Not someone I want to compete for a starting job, but if he's your number four, I'm cool with that. I think he'd make sense as a Denzel Mims replacement because I yeah. think it's finally time to just rip the band-aid off on Denzel Mims. Like, why would Denzel Mims even want to be back? Like, but don't both parties want a fresh start? 
See, what it sounds like from what I've seen with like reports is that, I, and again, who knows how much of this is smoke. Maybe they're trying to upgrade up his trade value. But it seems like the Jets are optimistic that Mims will be better with Nathaniel Hackett. They never saw him as a fit with Mike LaFleur. They butted heads. I think they think, or what's been reported, they believe that he will be a better fit with Nathaniel Hackett. That does not mean that they're going to rely on him as a starting receiver. That doesn't mean they won't trade him at the, 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 on the draft, whatever. If they get like a fifth round pick for him, which I don't know who, which team would do that, but if they get a fifth round pick for him, I would totally move him. Like I totally would move on from him at that point. Um, but I do agree. They, they're very, Matt Collins is basically an older Denzel Mims who can play special teams. Like that's pretty much what he is and better at this stage. I'm going to one up you in the receiver categories. I think there's a guy that actually uh, could be a Corey Davis replacement. And that's Alan Lazard, who was the, I guess, number one receiver de facto in Green Bay last year. I know Christian Watson kind of came on late and Romeo Dobbs had, had a little bit, but Alan Lazard was his go-to guy, which is a big step down from Devontae Adams, obviously. But at the same time, Al Lazard is basically like a tight end playing receiver. I mean, he's six foot five, two hundred twenty-seven pounds. He's listed at that is incredibly tough to jam up the line of scrimmage. And if he's a willing blocker, which the Jets want you to be, because of how much they love that Shanahan outside zoney stuff, and how much Hackett's pretty much going to run the same thing, you need a guy like Lazard on the edge. So if they get rid of Davis and they add a guy in Lazard who just had his best year, sixty catches, seven hundred eighty-eight yards, six touchdowns. 14 touchdowns in the last two seasons. That gives them not only a Davis replacement in terms of blocking, it also gives them a great red zone target, which was a big problem for them last year. It was being effective in the red zone. We all remember that Vikings game where they got to the five-yard line, it seemed like six times, and never got a touchdown. We, we get it. Braxton Berrios drops. Oh, Braxton oh. Berrios. Why is he on this team? He probably won't be. He, he, can't be, he, he was on be. the team for vibes. They gave him a, a vibes-based contract. He, he can't do that. Look, I, 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 will, I don't want to play revisionist history. I will say that, that I very much liked the Braxton Berrios contract when they gave it out. I thought it was a good deal. He was a very solid depth receiver in 2021 and a damn good return. Like he was a really very valuable player in 2021. Then he kind of all unraveled this year. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was the hair. I don't know what, what he did, but he just basically everything that was good about him in 2021 went away. He was not reliable. I mean, he didn't drop a pass in 2020, in 2021. He had dropped three – I've actually recently saw this stat. He had dropped three passes in his entire career going into this year, and he dropped three more this year. Uh, including, oh, of course. Well, because he was never getting thrown the ball. No, he had, he had a decent amount of like targets. He had um, more targets last year than this year, I believe. Uh, yeah, he only had 32 targets this year. He had 55 and 65 the years before that, and he had total drops amongst them three, I think, in his entire career before that. Oh uh, so he just he fell off a cliff, and then, of course, as a punt returner, he just made a ton of very questionable decisions late in the year, and he did nothing to add, you know, to make up for that. Like he wasn't exactly explosive as a punt returner, or kick returner. He didn't really do anything, and he, that sense of reliability that they had with him was gone. So I do think they'll move on from Marios. On Alan Lazard, I, I completely agree with you. I think he's probably my favorite wide receiver free agent target for the Jets. It's a pretty weak wide receiver class. I mean, I know Juju's out there, Odell. Like, there's there's a few guys out Odell, there. Odell, don't get – Odell's like an NFT at this point. It's just complete – not. To, it's just complete like they're making up the value at this point. He's, what, like 31 and he's got a billion knee injuries? Not that Madden ratings mean anything at all, but I was just recently uh, playing Madden with a buddy of mine, and I saw that Odell Beckham was an 86 overall, and I was like, "That is 86. He's higher than Garrett Wilson." And were I'm were like, you playing Madden like 
Madden 21 is the most recent Madden, the most recent roster update. He is higher rated than Garrett Wilson. And I'm like, Lord. Is insane. Sauce, by the way, is not even a ninety. So take that for what you will. Good but, Lord, I wonder why no one, why the game gets like a one out of ten on Metacritic oh, every year. Oh, I can go on this a crap. rant about Madden, dude. We're not gonna do that now, though. Uh, but yeah, we but absolutely I, could because I, I, I'm with you on that. But it is terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really do like Alan Lazard as a free agent target, even if the Jets don't get Aaron Rodgers. I still like Lazard as a free agent target. Like the other guys we're talking about, like Hollins and Cobb, and and I guess Farrell, sort of like they're more so like if the Jets add car or if they add rogers this makes sense i think lazard makes sense regardless he's basically a a great replacement for Corey davis he very much fills that same role um just a big body dude i'm not sure that that he's a you know a high-end number wide number two wide receiver he's more of a low-end number two more of like a number two number three i think but like, allegedly you have your number one in garrett wilson so. exactly if your wide receiver say quartet right if you're going into next year if your wide receiver quartet is Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, Elijah Moore, and then maybe you draft someone in the middle rounds. I'm all for that. Like, sign me up for that. I think that's a good wide receiver quartet. You got the two tight ends in Konkunizama. I'm very happy with that. I like Lazard. I, I you, think that's a good You can fit. win with those pieces easily. Finally stop pining for the halcyon days of the Rex Ryan era, which we just got an update on because just when it looked like Rex Ryan was going to settle into TV forever, what do you know? He gets an interview with the Denver Broncos – to potentially be Sean Payton's defensive coordinator after Giro Vero was not retained and became the defensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers. And I'm really interested to see how this works because I genuinely have no idea because at the same time, we all remember those great Rex defenses, not only with the Jets, but with Baltimore before. And he was really innovative, really on the cutting edge of things. And obviously comes from great you know, pedigree, his father, Buddy Ryan, in terms of the defenses that he helped create and establish. Let's just look at his defenses since 2011. 20th in points, 20th in points, 19th in points, 24th in points, and then his two years in Buffalo, 15th and 16th. So, And that is with the league not having changed to the degree it has in 2016. Like, Think about the NFL in 2016. And how monumentally different it was. I mean, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston were up-and-coming young prospects. That was how long ago 2016 was. And he looked a little outdated then. So you're going to bring him back in after, what, seven years on, on Get Up doing hot takes? I have my questions. But at the same time, this is a guy who maybe is top five in the world in terms of just pure passion for football and how much he loves football and just bring me players and I'll coach him up. Yeah, and you could tell. None of that's phony. So if he lands in a situation like Denver that is ready to win now, they have tons of good players. So the infrastructure is there. He's not going to be developing a bunch of rookies on a bad team. There's enough ingredients there where he can make something out of it, I think. I agree. And I, I want to give you a shout-out for the little caption you have here. I know people listening won't hear it, but uh, under where it says, Rex Ryan stepping, in, stepping into Denver, uh, you said Ryan putting his best foot forward with the Broncos. <laughs> He's really uh, kicking off something here, I think. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. He's towing the line between. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, if, you, if you know, you know, right? Uh, but I, I, I agree with you. I share the same kind of concerns. What's fun about the Denver fit is that they just brought in Mike Westoff as well. So you'd have like a reunion there between Rex and Mike Westoff. Also, I believe their defensive line coach is Marcus Dixon, who played under Rex in, you know, with, with, the, with the Jets, the defensive tackle. So that's really fun too. But I, I agree with you. I, I, I would have serious concerns about – 
him adapting. Like the dude is not coaching the NFL in seven years. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator in like 15 years, right? It has been a really, really long time for him to kind of take that same role in Denver. He hasn't coached at any level in like seven years. So I'm not sure what his defense would look like in 2023. I'd be fascinated. I'd be very interested. I'd love to see him interact with Russell Wilson. I think that'd be hilarious. I'd love to oh see him. My, interact I didn't with even him. consider that. Oh my Dude, goodness. The- <laughs> I want to see, I need to see that. If the, if the Broncos hire Rex Ryan, they need to be on hard knocks. We need to find a way to get them on hard knocks, find a way to do something where we just get video production from that team, where we're seeing Rex interact with Russell Wilson. We're seeing him interact with Sean Payton. I want to see him interact with that entire team because I think that'd be hilarious. Let's go get a goddamn snack. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. From a a football perspective, I don't know if the fit is great because he's just – it's it's so hard to make of of what he would look like in 2023 and what that defense would look like. But from a pure entertainment standpoint, I mean, sign me up. I'm all for it. Now, here's the – the pro Rex camp would compare it, I think, favorably to a guy like Dick Vermeil, who Dick Vermeil took like 15 years off coaching. He was in the broadcast booth. And one of the things that he mentioned when he was in the broadcast booth, I mean, he went around to every single team multiple times and just through osmosis, picked up all sorts of new ideas and plays and philosophies. And then he goes to the Rams and he wins a championship. I know he had the greatest show on turf, but I mean, he helped put that team together. He deserves credit for that. So if you want to take that opinion, maybe Rex Ryan's been talking to some guys and picking up something. Like I, I, he's not going to be clueless. He's not going to run the forty-six defense in twenty twenty-three. There's enough. To, it, you know what? If he did, he probably turned into a big uh, heel in Denver. But <laughs> look, look I, I think that Rex is a shoe in for the job. I just hope he doesn't get cold feet. You know, I, <laughs> I just. Uh, something something arch i don't know <laughs> I, love, I love puns but there's a sock pun in there too i don't maybe i hope his defense doesn't i hope it doesn't suck i suck i don't uh, come on no we had it going and then you, <laughs> did uh, we really though did we actually have it going or was that I yeah we had like seven fun. good ones right off the bat and then <laughs> good as a stretch good as a stretch kind of uh, uh, i was trying to make another one there. i'm not gonna do it because <laughs> it's just terrible i i do think it'd be really fun though i would love to see rex in denver i think it'd be hilarious again from an on-field perspective i don't know um i i do agree with you i don't think he's gonna like we need to give rex enough credit because it's not like the dude he may be a, a, an experienced coordinator or experienced defensive mind who hasn't coached the nfl in a while but when he was there he was one of the best defensive minds in football um so i i do think we need to give him some credit hopefully he adapts if he does go to denver i want to see it happen just again I think it'd be hilarious. I I really do. Uh, that's for sure. There's going to be some co- comedic element there. We can't focus on the Broncos too much because we have to do some Jets draft talk, which we're going to round out the show with. We got two topics we want to touch on, our weekly draft spotlight, but we also want to look at some of the mid-round quarterbacks because this idea has been kind of bubbling around Jets Twitter for a little bit, at least the idea of – taking a quarterback in the second or third round, if potentially you get a guy like a Rodgers or even a guy like a Carr to develop into maybe a long-term successor. Now, this quarterback class is incredibly stratified because you have a clear top four guys in whatever order you want. We've discussed them on the past, at least Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, we've discussed them. And then you have a big miasma of day three guys where it's pick your favorite order. I like guys that I like, guys like Jake Hayner, Guys like Tyson Bajan, who was at the Senior Bowl. Who, by the way, his dad is a champion arm wrestler. So go and look that up. I think you mentioned that last time. I think. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the two guys who are considered second to third round picks are funny to me because you could not get philosophically two more different prospects in terms of the traits that they're good at and the traits that they're bad at. And that is Hendon Hooker of Tennessee and Tanner McKee of Stanford. And I want to go dive into Hooker first. 
who spent three years at Virginia Tech, put up okay numbers. Then he goes to Tennessee and explodes. 69% completion, 6,000 yards, 9.5 yards per attempt. That is ridiculous. 58 passing touchdowns, 5 interceptions. In the SEC, 5 interceptions while running for 10 touchdowns at 1,000 yards. So you would think, oh my goodness, that that is elite production in the SEC on top of the fact that he's 6'4", 218, fantastic mobility, maybe the best deep ball thrower of any of the quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, look at all the throws Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman were running under during his time with Tennessee. And he performed well in the big games. I mean, he sliced up Nick Saban. So what's the concern? Well, Hooker is going to be 25 years old as a rookie which limits the developmental upside. Because at least with Joe Burrow being old, he was going to start right away, and you knew he was going to be good right away. Hendon Hooker, you don't know that. So immediately by his second year in the league, he's going to be 26 years old and older than guys like Daniel Jones. That's that's a little bit frightening. On top of the fact he also has an ACL injury that he's recovering from, so you don't even know if you're going to get 100% healthy Hendon Hooker. Let's say that five times fast <laughs> by, by the time the season starts. And also that we've railed, I've railed against offenses like what Lane Kiffin is running at Ole Miss and what Art Bryles used to do at Baylor, thanks to Bryce Petty scarring me. I mean, Josh Heupel is a descendant of those trees. That offense was not making NFL reads. It was, you're going to get the ball after we snap it within seven seconds. This guy's going to be open in a second and a half throw to that guy. So he's going to have to basically go from doing pre-algebra to high-level calculus immediately which is really going to eat into his pro potential. On the complete flip side, you have Tanner McKee at Stanford. And a lot of the draft guys, a lot of the casual fans are saying, why is this guy even a pro prospect I have to care about? Because he was 6-16 six and 16 over his last two years as a starting quarterback at Stanford with two NFL receivers in Elijah Higgins and Michael Wilson. So it wasn't necessarily a lack of talent. He only threw for 28 touchdowns in those two years with 15 interceptions. And I believe my grandmother could beat him in a 40-yard dash. He just does not – he's just a slow, plodding athlete. Why is he a prospect? Because if you were doing a Hollywood movie, like a draft day sequel, and you wanted a quarterback up on a board, it would look like Tanner McKee. 6'6", 230, smart guy at Stanford, super strong arm. Like, that is no joke. There's a lot of big, slow white guys who – get drafted based on being in a pro style offense and nothing else. Tanner Lee from Nebraska a couple years ago. Like there's guys like that. McKee has arm talent. Not, it's not like he's just a dope. I like his ability to actually throw off platform. And I like his performance in an offense that was orchestrated by, I'm going to do a hot take here. The most overrated college coach of probably the last Ooh, decade in David, David Shaw. Wow. Like, I would hear Every year I hear, oh, David Shaw might go back to the NFL. You heard for four or five years. Then you look at Stanford and they win like six games and they're running the, the wing tee like it's the 1940s. And you're like, this guy? This guy? So he's had to deal with that. Like if you put Tanner McKee in like a Hendon Hooker offense, you don't think he would put up numbers? I definitely think he would. I, I think he would. Uh, also, I, I like I like David Shaw. I'm not going to go on a whole. Uh, we're going to have a David Shaw conversation right now. But I, I covered David Stanford. Shaw got NFL buzz like last year, and he won four games. He's been getting it every year. He's been I, getting it. Why? every year. I think it's more. I don't know if he would come as as a head coach. Though. I know there's been like some rumors about that, but I could see him coming to the NFL as just an assistant first. 
Um, but I mean, he's he's got a good deal at Stanford. He's he's doing good there. I know that you know they they haven't had a ton of success. It's hard to recruit for Stanford. Like it's just it's a tough school to recruit for. Uh, well, first a lot of competition in the area in California, but also you know the, the academics and everything. But even still, we we can talk about that another time. Um, I'll start with Tanner McKee. We'll kind of just go serpentine, I guess, sort of, because you were just talking about Tanner McKee. Yeah, I mean, you, you know who I get vibes from when I look at Tanner McKee. Like you know who he reminds me of if I were to give him an NFL comparison. Let's see. Uh, There's two I have in mind, actually. There's two. Like his ceiling and then what he, what I think he's going to be. Are they active now? Yeah, yes, both of them are active. Is one of them Davis Mills? No, but I see why you'd say that Stanford. Stanford white yeah. guy? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I my What I think his – I'll start with his with the upside. I think his ceiling. I think if he if he continues to improve his, as his accuracy, continues to improve the mental side of the game, I think Joe Flacco is his ceiling. I think that's mm. what – really tall guy just a big physically imposing quarterback slow as hell not mobile doesn't really create outside of the structure of play but he's has the size he has the arm talent and i think that's kind of what joe flacco became at a point in his nfl career i don't think tanner mckee will become that what i think tanner mckee is more likely is like a mike glennon i think that that's more so what we're looking at with him and i that's sorry like mike glennon is not a good quarterback i think that's more so where i'm at with tanner mckee I just think he has such physical limitations, like in terms of his his mobility, his inability to create outside of structure or play. Um, and even still, I don't think his accuracy is is great right now. And specifically under pressure, um, I pulled up a stat before this. He, his completion percentage dropped from 66% to 41% when he was under pressure last year. That's significant, especially for a guy who's already not mobile. If he's struggling under pressure – what do you do like you know you can't you can't exactly get him outside the pocket that's a big flaw and i don't think he's gonna be able to play early because of that i think if he can improve that part of his game improve his overall accuracy improve his anticipation and touch i think he can be a joe flacco i really do but i don't think he will Hmm. hendon hooker is more of a fun exciting prospect i think that's more you know more people if they're like talking about guys the jets could target in the middle rounds i've seen his name come up a lot more than tanner mckee also on mckee they already have a guy like, I mean, not that Mike White has the arm that Tanner McKee does, but they already have an immobile, like, just statue back there in Mike White. Not that, you know, they might not bring him back, but we kind of already Pokemon saw Pokemon evolution where you have Mike White as the first phase and then Tanner McKee is the second and Flacco is the, as the final one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the, the evolution from White to McKee is, oh, wow, he's got a really good arm now. Um, <laughs> still has other limitations. But, but yeah, I, I think that we already saw how that worked with Mike White. I don't think they would go that route with Tanner McKee. Hendon Hooker is a lot more fun. Like you mentioned – Dude is like if he was like 21 years old, I think he's a top first round pick. Like, I, Even I with I, the injury, I think he's still a first round pick. I'm fully convinced with that kind of production in the SEC, with his size and athleticism. I think if he's 21. Teams are looking at him as okay. I don't think he's a top five pick, but I think he's someone that they're looking at more in the vein of an Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, where it's like okay, we can let him sit and develop for a couple of years. Maybe it's like a Jordan Love, where you draft him back half of the first round, mid mid to back half of the first round, develop him behind an established starter. And then hopefully he can take over. Unfortunately, he's 25. And if you do that with him, you're talking about it's, he's 28 years old before he steps on the field. That's the biggest concern with, with Hendon Hilker to me. Because from an on-field perspective, from a tape perspective, I, I love his game. I, I absolutely love his game. Great production. There are definite concerns about the scheme that he ran. But I'm optimistic that he'd be able to hopefully adapt to the NFL. There'd be a, a learning curve essentially. Cause like you mentioned at Tennessee, he had a lot of predetermined reads, a lot of, a lot of predetermined reads reads wasn't really asked to go through his progressions very often because of that's the system that they ran. 
it's a very different style. If you're going from like a vertical spread offense to, you know, the Jets West Coast team, like that uh, scheme, that's a, a significant learning curve. And I think you need to take that time with Hendon Hooker. Thankfully, you're probably going to have that as rookie year because I'm not sure he's even going to play because of the ACL injury. So he's probably, at the very least, going to miss a significant portion of his rookie season. Not that you'd ask him, you'd want him to play early anyway, so that's fine. But you're realistically looking at he's 26 years old before he can even step on a football field, on an NFL field. The, the scheme is really weirding me out, though. Like, I can't get over it. Like, I just – I pulled it up right now. I'm going to list off the quarterbacks since Josh Heupel became the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma in 2011. Then he went to Utah State for a year. And then uh, Missouri, he was the offensive coordinator from 2016 to 2017. Then he goes to UCF. And then he goes to uh, uh, Tennessee to become the head coach. So he's got a pretty strong they have, body they have of work here. Did Josh Dobbs cross over with him? No, he did. Here, here are his quarterbacks. I'm just going to list it off. You tell me this sounds like an NFL depth chart. Let's remember some guys. Uh, Landry Jones. XFL legend. Uh, Blake Bell. So who's a tight end hey, now. Super Bowl champion. Blake tight, Bell. As a tight end. So we, we're 0 for 2 there. Trevor Knight. Do you remember Trevor Knight? I got nothing for Trevor Knight. I know who that is. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, then he goes to Utah State and coaches. Oh, oh the, the immortal Kent Myers. The immor- Ken Myers and Chucky Keaton, the, the immortals. And then he goes to Missouri and he gets Drew Locke. And Drew Locke is honestly probably the best quarterback he's had. Drew then Locke goes- is Tanner McKee with slightly more minute mobility. <laughs> honestly, Drew Locke might be another good comparison for, for Tanner McKee, for being honest. But anyway, so it's Drew Locke. Then he goes to UCF. Mackenzie Milton before he gets hurt. Brandon Wimbush. Oh, my goodness. And oh, then obviously yeah, – yeah. Then obviously a Tennessee Hendon Hooker. So this is not an offense that produces NFL quarterbacks, and I think it's at the point where you have to like the the knowledge you have to absorb coming into the NFL from that is so vast that not only is he not going to play year one, but I mean year two, he's going to be I think mentally a rookie in terms of how much he can comprehend. That's not to say Hendon Hooker's dumb or he can't handle. It. I think he definitely can. It's just such a gap. So then when's he finally going to hit his stride? Year three when he's 27? Like, that that's a big gamble to take. I agree with you. And that's, I'm not really – there's nobody in this class that I'm really like, I want the Jets to draft this guy in the middle rounds. I, I really have not, from what I've seen – I mean, Jaron Hall almost has similar issues to Hendon Hooker where it's like you have the injury concern with him. He's an older prospect. Like, th- there's issues with a lot of these guys. Um, Hendon Hooker is – like I'll say this about the 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 school right and everything with that. I don't think any of those guys you mentioned had the talent that Hendon Hooker has, and I think that's an important distinction. Like Mackenzie Milton was never going to be an NFL quarterback. It doesn't matter what scheme he was in; he was never. I don't even know a couple of the guys at Utah State. I don't even know who the hell they are. I've never heard of them. Yeah, Trevor probably, Day, probably working at you know Best Buy right now, or right. like have like an accounting job, or you know what? Good for them. But like Chucky <laughs> Keaton's a coach, I think. So I could be okay. wrong. And Trevor Knight was never going to be an NFL quarterback. Hendon Hooker is six four two twenty. And a great athlete. Like physically, he is he has it. Like he has it. And his ball placement and accuracy is a lot better than a lot of guys in this class. Like it's not like he's just a physical upside guy. He's a good quarterback. Like right now, I think he's pretty good. Mentally is where it's and it's again, like you said, it's not because he's dumb. It's just adapting from that scheme is a difficult transition. It's gonna take him a couple of years to do it because of one, because of the injury, and two, because it's just it's a significant gap, essentially. You're you're or it's a significant learning curve. I'd be willing to bet on him at least being an NFL quarterback for a few years. And I don't know if I'm willing to bet on that, like with Tanner McKee. I, I just, 
I think he's out of the league in like four or five years. I, I don't think he's a long-term backup. I, I Hendon Hooker, I think at least can be. Um, and I'm, I'd be fine. I'd be happy betting on his upside. I'd like it if the Jets drafted him. I'd be happy about it. But also his age, the injury, and the scheme are significant red flags that you can't just ignore. Now, fundamentally, if they draft a quarterback if after they get Rodgers, I would honestly be more okay with that than if they did it after Carr. Because I think that there's just like there's more of a reason to get that next guy if you get Rogers. So if they take a guy like Carr, and then you use a pick on Hendon Hooker, what would your reaction be? I mean, I mean, I'd be happy because I like Hendon Hooker, and I, I think Hendon Hooker makes sense as someone who you can develop for like three years, right? And it sucks because then he's 28, right? Like I, I know that the age thing is absolutely a concern, and don't don't get me wrong. But if you want to just sit with with Hendon Hooker, develop him for two three years, and then maybe you know, behind car, I'm cool with it. I think it definitely makes more sense with Rogers for sure, because Rogers, he might be a one-year solution. Like you don't even know car. At least you expect that he's going to be there for a few years. If they get car, I think it makes more sense to not draft a quarterback in the middle rounds. And then hopefully maybe in a couple of years, draft one, maybe early, right. Depending on what's going on with that situation, but I'm, I'm cool with it. I just, I agree with you. It makes more sense if they get Rogers though. And now it is time for our weekly, we got to put some sort of musical stinger in here, New York Jets weekly draft spotlight. I was like the Sanford and Son theme or something. <laughs> I, I think like 5% of people listening to this are going to know what that is. I do know my dad. You know what? If you know what it is, I salute you because <laughs> I, I want to hang around with you. So going, in, going into that, our Sanford and Son themed draft spectacular extravaganza. We're going to switch things up a little bit from last week. We're going to focus on primarily, exclusively actually, the defensive side of the ball. Justin has a defensive lineman that he's looking at, and I got a defensive back I got in my mind. I will give, I will give my guy Justin the floor. Cool. Yeah, I, I know I talked about Keanu Benton a few weeks ago, and I was like deba- debating if I wanted to talk about him again because I talked about him, I think, when we were talking about the Senior Bowl. So it wasn't really – he wasn't like my weekly draft spotlight. But I'll, I'll shine a light on a different defensive tackle. Benton is still probably my favorite defensive tackle target for the Jets in this class. But I'll look at, at South Carolina's Zach Pickens. Zach spelled with two Cs. I don't know why. But of course, naturally, yes. Of course, as you know. <laughs> what else would it be? Uh, I, I think he's a very, very fun – third or fourth round target for the Jets. Uh, just a super high upside dude with with rare physical traits. He's a former five-star recruit. I don't think his production ever quite matched the hype, but he's gotten better every year that he's been at South Carolina. 6'4", 305 pounds, great athlete, probably one of the most powerful dudes in this class. He's really versatile as well. I mean, he could probably play anywhere from like a true nose tackle to a pass rushing three tech. And I think he has that pass rushing upside to potentially be a three down starter in the NFL. Right now, still probably pretty raw. He struggles to beat double teams. He's not super consistent. He'll have series. He'll have games where, honestly, he disappears. If you watch his tape, he's not the most consistent player. He's not always active. But when he's on, he's on. And I think that's something that you can build off of, essentially. I think he's great value in like that middle round, third, fourth area. Probably someone who's going to be a rotational piece early on with the potential to be a three-down starter by – Year two, year three. I still like Keanu Benton because I think he's a better run stopper than Pickens is at this stage. Benton, I like his pass rush upside, but he's definitely more of a fit for what the Jets are looking for. But if you want to draft Zach Pickens, maybe bring back Sheldon Rankins like a one or two year deal. And Pickens, you can kind of develop to take over that role by maybe 2024, 2025. That's I, I like Zach Pickens. He's someone I'd look at in the middle rounds. I'm glad you brought up Rankins because I haven't finalized my grades for everybody yet. I haven't on Pickens specifically. But I got a lot of Rankins 
from watching him when he's on. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Rankins might have a little bit higher upside as a pass rusher, but in terms of how Pickens can really just move people, like when he's on, like I remember watching him a couple games against Florida, and that those are that has Osiris Torrance, who's regarded as the best guard in the draft. And I think Torrance got the better of him mostly, but I mean, he performed better against him than a lot of the other potential draft picks. So there's a lot to like with Pickens as just a pure run stuffer, which I think the Jets will need to add at some point. Now, the question is going to be, do you really want to invest maybe even a day two pick in him if you don't think he's going to be an amazing pass rusher, which right now I don't. So you're pretty much purely drafting him for run support. So it just depends on how confident the Jets are they can milk that pass rush talent out of him. But that, if matchup, they- that matchup with Pickens and Torrance was was fun. Like, yeah, there's two big dudes, powerful dudes, just kind of mauling each other. Ha- was- it was Hagler Hearns. They're just wailing on each other. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to go look at the defensive backfield. I am going to go get a gold domer from Notre Dame, Brandon Joseph, who actually started his career at Northwestern and he had six interceptions his first full year. I know that was the COVID year and there were some other things. Six interceptions, nine in his two, first two years at Northwestern, transfers to Notre Dame, gets one interception. So it's not as amazing, but that honestly belies his true skill. This guy is a classic ball hawk, great range, very instinctual, can move around the defensive backfield a lot. Now, I was talking about Brian Branch and J.L. Skitter in the last couple episodes. They're more in-the-box guys who are you know, like better in the slot, too. I've seen some success with both of them. Brandon Joseph is a straight-off-the-factory line, deep safety who can get interceptions and turnovers, which I feel like that's probably what the Jets would need And when you're looking at a guy like LaMarcus Joyner who just needs to be replaced. They can get a, a high-end guy like Brandon Joseph. Now, there are some concerns. Mostly, he's not really super fast. So that, that makes his range impressive because he's not like an A-plus athlete. But the l- lack of long speed could be concerning, especially with all the speedy guys like Tyreek Hill in this division that he's going to at some point have to defend. And he was not the best tackler. Mm-hmm. He, tr- he tried and run support. He, he tried. He just is not there yet. He's not really super muscular for a safety. He's like 190 kind of average there. So he's not going to go down and just declete somebody. So if the Jets want that in a safety, probably not going to take him. But if they just want interceptions and they want deep range, he might be one of the best guys on day two. He's like sort of the opposite of what they were drafting when they got Ashton Davis. Like I feel like they're just total hmm. opposite players because Davis was all traits and like just you were hoping the rest of his game kind of ironed out. Joseph, it's more like like the IQ is there. He's got good range. He's not a, like you like you said. He's not an incredible athlete, which is again opposite of Ashton Davis. But I, I like his overall game. I think if you're looking at like what he could be in the future, you're hoping he becomes someone like you're really hoping he becomes someone like Jesse Bates. Like I think that's a, a fair comparison. We're just a really smart, intelligent player, great playmaker, uh, creates a lot of turnovers, probably not the greatest athlete. Like, again, he's not Ashton Davis out there, but he's still just a very smart player, good a good free safety. I think he'd be a starting caliber free safety. Might take him a year or two, but I think he could play early because I think he's more NFL ready than some of the other safeties in this class. So if they wanted to target him in you know the third round or something like that and, and say maybe he's going to compete for a free safety job in, in year one, I'm all for it. I, li- I like Brandon Joseph. That BYU game he played, which was against Puka Nakua, who had a great senior bowl and was going to get drafted, and Jaron Hall, who's mm-hmm. a pro prospect, is probably going to be like a fourth-round pick. That was one of the best games I've seen from a defensive back. He was flying all over. It was his best tackling and run support day, too. Yeah. And then he plays Ohio State at the beginning of the year, 
not amazing, but definitely holds his own against a loaded offense. So those games in particular kind of sold me on Brandon Joseph. And again, again, coming from like, I don't want to completely throw out the Northwestern tape either. I mean, he was a freshman and they were talking about maybe making him an all American. That is, you don't get that way by accident. Yeah, I for sure. He's one of my favorite mid round safeties in this class. And there's a few of them out there, but Dude, I, I don't know what's going to happen next week when we meet up because it's going to be, you know, the, the Jets might have their quarterback situation figured out. There's probably going to be more we're going we're to know. If Aaron, hopefully Aaron Rodgers will emerge from the darkness before then because that is, like, he should be out by now. Who knows what's going on with that? Johnny Cash maybe, telling him to find his soulmate. <laughs> maybe maybe Derek Carr will have visited another team. I, I don't know. But I, I have a feeling that next week's show is going to be a pretty, a pretty big one. We're going to have a lot to talk about with the quarterbacks. But until then, I appreciate everyone for tuning in, for watching. As always, we thank you all for the support. It's been amazing. Make sure you, you subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Thank you all for joining. You can follow Mike on Twitter at ByMikeLuciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow the Jet Press at the Jet Press. Download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple Music, whatever the other thing you said in the beginning was that I don't even know what it was. Overcast, baby. Overcast. Don't disrespect the Overcast listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. I have no idea what that is. So if you're listening <laughs> on Overcast, good for you. I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You know what to do. All that stuff. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you all for listening to Jet Press Podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That's been Mike Luciano. We'll see you guys next week. See you folks next week. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.